A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way, we're off to watch some Watchmen Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Who watches the Watchmen and who's watching us? That's what I want to know. That's what I'm interested in. Who's watching me right now? You're watching, or rather listening to Watch and Watch. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be talking about the latest episode of Watchmen, Little Fear of Lightning. We've all got a little fear of lightning. We do. I'm mostly scared of thunder, i got to be honest with you. Ah, we're a great combo. (laughs) It's like peanut butter and jelly. Also, I'm scared of them, too. Horrifying. You you get the peanut butter, and then you count, and that's how far away the sandwich is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, until mm -hmm, the jelly mm -hmm. comes. Yeah. No, you don't have to tell me that. I know that very well. Now, let's talk about the title quote. I I feel like this is a nice place to start every episode so far. Um, This little fear of lightning, I believe, is part of a quote from Jules Verne, of all people. If there were no thunder, (laughs) men would have little fear of lightning, although the danger is in the lightning, not in the thunder. That's the full quote yeah. from Jules Verne. Uh, it's from a book by uh, called In Search of the Castaways, which I actually think does tie a lot into this episode. Uh, it's about a dude who gets lost. A bunch of people go and search for him. The, he has left clues for them, but the clues are mostly broken up and inscrutable. And I think almost more than any other episode of the show so far, it's very clear how that ties into Veidt's storyline this episode. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole fear was like mm-hmm. the whole content on on both sides of this episode. And what's worse, like having your fear solved or living with that fear. And it's not great what happens. Yeah. Uh, I love this episode, by the way. I, I was great episode. It's it, like a nice little yeah. deviation from the main uh, other themes and parts of the story, but just so good. Yeah, and huge answers throughout as well, but uh, the main thrust of this episode is focusing on the character of Looking Glass. Before we get into that, let's do a recap of what's happened so far. The bulk of our action takes place in Tulsa. Today, there's been the murder of the chief of police, Judd Crawford. We've learned some weird, sketchy things about him as he's been investigated. Specifically, he's been hiding a... Ku Klux Klan outfit in his closet. Uh, Sister Knight, who is one of the policemen working in the Tulsa PD, uh, has some more information on that. Specifically, she found her grandfather, who she later found out to be her grandfather, named Will Reeves, next to the tree where Judd Crawford was hung. She immediately panicked, ended up investigating him, sort of covered up the whole thing. Uh, You may have gathered, based on the fact that her name is Sister Knight, that the people in the police officers in the Tulsa PD are all masked vigilantes. This is something that happened because of an event called the White Knight that happened a couple of years ago when a bunch of folks in the 7th Cavalry, a racist group inspired by the masked vigilante Rorschach, went and killed a bunch of police officers and their families. 
new people signed up. Uh, those police officers who were still in the force were now required to wear masks, including Sister Knight. Also, Looking Glass, who we mentioned before, he's a guy named Wade. Uh, he seems to have the ability to see truth in people. There's also a couple of other characters, Red Scare, Pirate Jenny, etc. Pirate Jenny, not quite as important this episode. Now, <laughs> since Judd uh, died... The new person who has taken over the police department is Lori Blake. She formerly was a vigilante known as Silk Spectre uh, back in the days of Watchmen, the comic book series slash the graphic <laughs> novel. Um, she is very suspicious of Angela Abar, a.k.a. Sister Knight, seems to be very well aware of everything that is going on in Tulsa, and is just kind of needling everybody to get the information out on them, including immediately sitting down in Judd Crawford's desk and taking over there. Uh, the only other thing that you probably should actually know about, and this is big, important information, particularly those who only saw Watchmen the movie. In Watchmen the comic book, there's a character named Adrian Veidt. He is a superhero named Ozymandias. He calls himself the smartest man in the world. He is, in fact, very smart. The Whether he is the smartest <laughs> man in the world or not is sort of up for debate. How do you keep tally? Because, you know, I'd like to see my power rankings uh, now mm-hmm. in our world. You know what? I want him to take an IQ test. That's what I want. I want to see that happen. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the last episode. Oh, yeah. Just sitting down, filling in a Scantron. That would be pretty sweet. Exactly. And so the results, Veidt, question mark. In the we comic never find book, out. pulled off a plan to stop the world from reaching nuclear annihilation. And what he did was he fabricated a hoax. The hoax was that there were interstellar beings who were invading our dimension. And the way that he did that is using cloning and technology and teleportation technology that was partially based on the, I was about to say creature, but former man known as Dr. Manhattan. He was able to develop these technologies at rapid pace, created an enormous squid monster that he teleported into the middle of New York. It let loose a psychic blast, killed three million people and all over the world, according to the comic book. Uh, People with stronger psychic abilities got this story that interdimensional beings were invading. Let's all gather together and fight against them instead of each other. So his plan was to create peace through war, essentially, uh, and to move on from there. Since then, since we picked up in the TV show, we haven't really heard a whole lot about that. We've heard some conspiracy theories in the background. People think the squids are fabricated by the United States. We've seen a squid rain that happens every now and again on Tulsa. People seem very blasé about the whole thing, but we haven't heard much more. And with that all said... I think we can jump right into the episode, which starts with a flashback of who we find out pretty soon is Wade. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, a little before we move into that, it's pretty crazy. I don't know how you could figure out what's going on in the show without knowing that, mm-hmm. that story that you just told, like especially this episode. Yeah, it's this episode to me. I think it's a little more scrutable. Is that an actual word or is just inscrutable? Yeah. word? Yeah, why not? Yeah, but any, they both any, have to be words. Yeah, anything can be a word if you say it out loud. It's just a bunch of letters, man. Yeah. So the Lori Blake episode that was two episodes ago, to me, that was much more inscrutable, I would think, if you haven't read the graphic novel, because it dealt so heavily with Silk Spectre, Night Owl in a tangential way, Dr. Manhattan, all of these things that were very specific about the graphic novel. Here, 
certainly there's a lot of questions about the giant squid that shows up in New York uh, and where we start. But I don't know. I feel like if you've already know we live in a world where squids are raining down, this actually fills in a bunch of the dots there. You didn't feel that way? No, I guess it does. It's hard to know how I would Mm -hmm. take it in if I didn't know the story. Yeah. Like we need to have someone, we need to ask someone who has never read the graphic novel, but is very into the show to explain what they think is happening. Because I don't think it's 100% clear. Sure. If anything, it's like they're telling the end first and then slowly filling in blanks. Most of the comments that I've seen from people online, at least, from folks who haven't read the comic but are only watching the show, are, wow, this is weird. I have no idea what's going on. I love it. Yeah, and that's great. Yeah, that is great. Good job, show. You're doing a good job. Oh, yeah. We only talk directly to the show on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you are not the show. Good show. D- don't listen to this podcast. It, just don't yes. do it. Uh, yeah. It's for the show, about the show, yes. by the show. So uh, this scene, this introductory scene is fantastic. It's so Great well scene. done. Uh, the short version of it is Wade is in a religious group as a teen. It's one minute to midnight on the doomsday clock. They've decided to go to a carnival in Hoboken. Great Horrible. <laughs> if you're going to run a mission, you're going to go to a carnival in Hoboken, that's oh, fucked up. Yeah, that's that's like a bottom-tier carnival, let's be honest. Uh, and when he gets there, he goes to the carnival. He's very nervous about giving up this information about the end of the world and the next life. Uh, but And he gets beaten up by a bunch of thugs, uh, or at least uh, yelled at by a bunch of thugs. But a kids. girl... They're kids. They're, yeah. not, <laughs> they're not like hardened criminals. You know they're what, like man. children. Uh, well, uh, so let, You're scared of kids. You're scared of teens, though. Well, let's actually stop because there's so many details that are thrown into this. I was going to zip through it, but uh, you get to see, first of all, the music in this episode is fantastic. So good. So good. Across Careless the Whisper. Careless Whisper. Uh, you get to see as he's walking along, somebody is holding up. It's either a magazine or a comic book. I wasn't 100% sure, but it has the Vite method on the back of it, which is something that shows up in Watchmen, the comic book, which is Adrian Vite sort of does like strongman demonstrations because he's such a celebrity. Uh, Another thing that you probably, you definitely wouldn't know if you didn't read the comic book, uh, but the uh, kids who are kind of rough with Wade are not tops, which is something from the comic book. It ties into a recurring theme of Gordian knots and things being tied up, but essentially it just means like they're wearing a man bun on the top of their head and it's a, I believe he predicted Alan Moore predicted man buns. He did. Uh, Jared Leto would have no career if it wasn't for Alan yeah. Moore. Uh, the most horrifying <laughs> prediction of them all. But it also ties into something that gets uh, seated throughout this episode. There's a band called Pale Horse that has a bunch of posters in the background. I believe the Not Tops love Pale Horse, this band, which is like a death metal band, essentially. Uh, and Pale Horse was playing at Madison Square Garden the night of the squid explosion. We get to hear more of that and more about that as the uh, episode goes on. But we get to see these knotheads. Uh, and then... Wade gets taken in by a girl who initially seems friendly. He gets taken into a house of mirrors and she's like, listen, it's a minute to midnight. You're a virgin, right? Don't you want to have sex? Takes off all of his clothes and immediately runs off with his clothes. At which point we don't know this is happening yet, but things start shaking and rattling and a tone starts and then all of the lights cut out. And when it comes back, Wade is bleeding from his ears. 
I thought one detail that's interesting, and I know I'm looking for this too much, but the entire Hall of Mirrors is bathed in a blue light a la Dr. Manhattan. Uh, yeah. It seems like you picked up on this too. What do you think? What do you take away from that? Was he protecting him or is it just a thematic thing? I think it's more thematic. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'd be very surprised if uh, if Dr. Manhattan ends up being like the deus ex machina, like bringing all these people together. That seems crazy. Much more so, I think it just looks like the comic, which is mm-hmm. always, the characters always bathed in like reds and blues. Yeah. Uh, and he comes out and sees first the girl dead on the floor. Her mouth is very specifically open like the clown's mouth at the front of the Hall of Mirrors that they walked into. But people are dead all over. Some people are wandering around. Wade just screams, what happened, what happened, what happened? And we zoom out from Hoboken into New York as New York, New York plays. Uh, and we see the squid. Uh, so good. So good. Uh, and this is, uh, again, in the movie, it was an atomic explosion, right? Is that is that correct? It's been a while since I've seen uh, it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically like just a, a regular, Manhattan, just a regular yeah. old explosion. Uh, so this is like, this is a big reveal for people who have only come for the movie. It's nuts. It also is the first time even in the comic book we've seen the squid in full because you only get to see flashes of it in pieces. Issue, yeah. Yeah. 12. Um, so that was awesome. So uh, good. And then we immediately flash to a commercial right after yeah. that, a commercial for New York. I love this, too. I thought this was so funny. Yeah, it come back to New York trying to get people. And then we flashed to the present day, and it's a uh, an ad campaign to get people to move back to New York. Uh, obviously, New York's empty because people don't want to get squidded. Yeah. Uh, and I love the calamari bit at the end. Very funny. Yeah. Bit. There's also uh, the people at the beginning, they're going to a Broadway show. They're like, we love going to see all the Broadway shows. And the Broadway show is Oppenheimer. Which I assume yeah. is this reality's version of Hamilton, where like Lin Miranda, Mel, Manuel Miranda has done some sort of musical about Oppenheimer instead yeah. of Hamilton. Could be that's wrong. Uh, also, the guy at the commercial. No, I think that's a good guess, and I think that's such a funny. Like this world is obsessed with science because of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Science replaces religion, and to some, obviously through his, to history. And so that's why the musical would be Oppenheimer. Like, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not quite good on my Sopranos, dude. Was that Michael Imperioli at the end with the squid? Oh, maybe. I don't think so. I okay. don't think so. I don't know. He wasn't in the credits, so I wasn't 100% sure. But anybody who knows their HBO personalities, I feel like it seemed like that was somebody from Sopranos or some sort of a joke there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that we get, weave throughout this is it turns out uh, that Wade's day job is essentially being a consult for these. uh, Oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking on the word. It's a focus group. They're like advertising focus groups. And he can, his whole thing in this episode and throughout is he's like a human lie detector or he can sense what people are Mm -hmm. actually feeling. Um, And he, so he's brought in to be like the, Buzzkill, basically. So up until this point, my impression of Wade has been that he just has a good sense about people. Maybe he has a psychiatric background or uh, some sort of therapy background. That doesn't seem to be the case here. And in fact, given that and the fact that he survived the squid explosion over in Hoboken, I get the sense that he may actually have some psychic powers. 
Yeah, I th- I think so. It's never pointed at directly, but the scene later in the bar where he uh, the girl is making up a bunch of different jobs, and then he get he finally she says the right one, and he knows does make it seem like it's more of it's beyond just like a, a yeah. social trick that he does. Like he actually can do it, which is something that I've never we've talked about this pod this before, but I've always been very iffy about with both watching the book and watching the TV show where they Vite says people have psychic powers, but we don't really see any evidence of superpowered people other than Dr. Manhattan. Even the vigilantes that we see show up in the book are basically just humans that are very athletic. Um, So this, this to me is, I'm not uncomfortable in a bad way, but it certainly makes me uncomfortable to take this leap into, okay, yes, we 100% do have people with psychic powers in this world. See, to me, I don't need to know. I just like that he has this thing. I don't need Mm -hmm. to know the ramifications. And I hope they don't go and explain it because what I like about it is uh, with the character is Looking Glass is like just a natural heightening and a little bit of a a flip of Rorschach. Yeah. And so Rorschach is obsessed with the truth, only wants the truth to be out at any without any worry about the consequences. And it's, it's fitting that Looking Glass, the heightened version of him, is can sense truth and uh but ironically in this he ends up hiding the truth for the sake of the story which is the opposite of Rorschach does in the comic yeah um do you want to talk us through the rest of it I I kind of only took spotty notes for the rest sure let's keep it spotty yeah uh as we do uh so looking glass uh he's consulting Lori uh, or he goes to uh, talk to Laurie, and Laurie's like, oh, you're doing your consultant. They see stuff on the side, and they're trying to find this church um, uh, that the 7th Cavalry is staying in. She, she's addressing all of the cops. Mm-hmm. Now, how does it work that Laurie is just leading the cops now? I think uh, I, as a professional cop, I'm not 100% sure, but the chief died. She's come in and taken it over. I mean, I think my only knowledge is from TV shows, but you usually have a situation where the FBI comes in and says, well, we're taking over this investigation. I don't know what happens when the chief of police dies. You would think there would yeah, be you, a deputy chief yeah, you who don't would just, jump in, it's, right? It's not like musical chairs where the next person who sits is the king or whatever. Right. But in this case, if there is a not a deputy chief of police and the FBI has specifically said, no, she is coming in, she is taking over... I guess that's what it is. I do I do love her dynamic with everybody that she is so specifically needling at everybody with the names. She just yeah. keeps calling Wade Mirror Guy that's and great. getting everybody to take off their masks. Uh, it's, you know, flip way the way that uh, Senator Keene Jr. is doing it as well, where this mask thing is happening, but everybody is so casual about it and they all use it yeah. to their verbal advantage. Yeah, but I and I do think it's it's pointed like they're trying to they're undercutting it to mm-hmm. you know to, to weaken them or like play on their insecurities a little bit. And it definitely works here with Wade. We focus on him through this whole episode and you realize he's like a basket case. Yeah. Uh well, later we find out later it's important later that she's Laurie's bugging his cactus. Right. Uh, which sets up a great thing at the end, which we uh, will get yeah, to Yeah, and she wants to know, this is a detail that we didn't mention, but uh, Sister Knight's grandfather left a bottle of pills in his car, and she gave them to Wade to figure out what they are. So <clears throat> Wade immediately lies 
to Lori and says, oh, this is a personal medical matter that I'm dealing out with with Sister Knight and I wouldn't want to betray her confidence. Uh, this is is much more reasonable than him, but there is something about Tim Blake Nelson's delivery in this episode in particular that reminded me as Eugene for The Walking Dead, where oh, it was wow. just very like, I'm very particular about the scientific language that I'm using right now that I'm laying out on you. Well, I think the, the character, like, I feel like Eugene could be Wade in a different mm-hmm. like world. Like he lives alone. He deals with these weird science things. He's obsessive, uh, can't connect with people like sort of a similar dude. Yeah. Uh, so I believe the next scene though is Rorschach. Not, not Rorschach. Oh my God. How dare oh, you? Oh my God. I can't believe I did that. Look at glasses going home. The reason I did this is my note says he's eating baked beans like Rorschach. Right out yeah. of the CAD. Uh, so it's, again, a very specific call out. But he's watching American Hero Story. And this is a scene of uh, hooding justice boating Captain Metropolis, which yeah. is something that was hinted at in Hollis Mason's book in Watchmen, the comic. But we're definitely yeah. seeing coming to bear, specifically this American Hero Story. Coming to bear. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's a very specific pun that I definitely meant to do. Yep. Um but, uh, yeah, it seems like we're keeping with that. He's just sort of casually eating the beans when this alarm goes off. And we get to see it's a EDS extra dimensional security unit that seems to be malfunctioning. Now, here's something I want to throw out at you. Um, it goes off. He ends up getting frustrated and tearing it out of the wall. We find out the bunker that Sister Knight encountered him in is not where he's living. He has an actual house, but his bunker is clearly where he immediately retreats to if he thinks yeah. there's a squid attack. Um, he calls them up, and their implication is because he was testing it so much, he probably broke it. Yeah. I think it's not malfunctioning. And because by the end of the episode, we see, this is a big spoiler for the end of the episode, but hopefully you've watched it, uh, 7th Cavalry is playing with teleportation devices. I think that's what's setting it off. Yeah, I think so. Um, they're shoot throwing basketballs into a teleportation wall, and they keep appearing, I would guess, around the area. Yeah. In the show, we only see them appearing randomly in the complex that they have. But I, I think you're right. I bet the alarm is going off. But I love the way that the, the world sort of has this corporation that is playing on everyone's fears of the squid and selling them these these objects, the the stuff that Wade has in his hat, the like mm-hmm. mirror uh, material is meant to protect you from the psychic energy that the squid gave off. So I think to your point, it could be real and it could be actually someone playing. It could, it could be like an actual warning system or it could be like a scam corporation that is playing on people's fears. I, I would venture, I guess, that it's both at the same time. Like it's yeah. it's very... Uh, it's uh, conspiracy culture has gone mainstream because of everything that has gone on with the squids and uh, interdimensional entities and all of these things. But at the same time, it may actually work because these things actually did happen. Uh, and certainly, again, the implication for what's going on with the Seventh Cavalry, because Wade is able to identify the doorway that they're using. It seems like a lot of that information actually came out, like the things that Vice yeah. set up he created a story that was just plausible enough to believe it while leaving a lot of the details out in the meantime. 
It's also interesting, though, that like at the end of the comic book Watchmen, uh, Rorschach's journal is about to be, we think, published. And it seems like it was in this world, in the New Frontiersman. Uh, but no one believes it mm-hmm. as much as we thought. It's like a it's a conspiracy theory that is just as thought of as any other conspiracy theory. Yeah. Well, it's like if Alex Jones went and was like, hey, here is a thing that happened after the squid exploded. He read off Rorschach's journal. We all know Alex Jones is right about everything all the time, 100%. He's a very Definitely. reliable dude. No, he's an awful dude. And it, if you don't know who Alex Jones is, please don't Google Do him. Do not. He's, <laughs> he's a weird, he's a conspiracy theorist in Texas who is a horrible psychopath. And he's probably going to jail. Yes. Uh, I guess my point is that's what the new frontiersman feels like to me, that it's like, even if they are right, why would you believe them unless you were a crazy person, you know? Yeah. But I will say, I mean, we're getting into it now. They do feel like there's more going on than just a racist group here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess that's we can sort of drive into that. Um, So we Wade is traumatized by his squid uh, experience, um, which sets up he um, that is why his marriage ended, his Mm -hmm. obsession with the squid, and we get to meet his ex because that's where he goes with these pills from Angela to try to get them. Uh, the answers he needs. And we get to, she works at like a pet cloning company, yeah. which I thought this was a great, this is very like Kurt Vonnegut mm-hmm. uh, vibes where they clone the pets. If it doesn't, if the pet's not quite right, they just kill it right away. Oh, that was so awful. So yeah. terrible. I'm sort of glad Pete is not here to recap this one because I feel like we'd be spending 30 solid minutes talking about incinerating that dog. Well, we'd have to tell him that it wasn't incinerated. He just went into a drawer, and he lives in that drawer now. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, But, yeah, this is his ex-wife. She clearly knew about what happened in the Hall of Mirrors. He, you know, figuratively cannot get out of that Hall of Mirrors and never left. Um, But they find out that the pills are nostalgia. Yeah. And that's what we find out about that. Uh, and so these are actual memories, yes. I guess, in pill form uh, that you can take and then experience other people's memories. Yes. So that certainly seems to be what Will was hinting at a couple of episodes back when he told the lady true. No, she's just going to have to understand this or experience this herself. Um, I think his I don't know how specifically he planned out what happens at the end of the episode with Sister Night, uh, but yeah. certainly... He wants her to find out about those pills and then try those pills to get his memories. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine his plan uh, was to do what we see in this episode. But I do think he's like the draw of the mystery will be too much for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whether she takes them like she does under duress or she takes them out of just pure curiosity, that's what he he's wanted what happens at the end of this episode, I think. Yeah, she is the Ralph Dibney of the show. She's got a real nose for mystery. Yeah, a real, and she's also made of human rubber. Yes, absolutely. Everybody gets that. You guys watch The Flash. It's all good. Uh, so then we get the support group after that, right? Yeah. Um, he's sort of the leader of the group, um, and he counsels people who are dealing with their uh, extra-dimensional uh, PTSD, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, they all believe in the squid. They have a prayer 
their other dimensional fears. Um, and there's this woman uh, who is sort of is the adult version of the girl from the opening sequence uh, who is sort of lures him in. Uh, they go to the bar. Oh, he does before the we get there, lot. there were two details I wanted to mention for the Sorak group that I thought were interesting. Uh, when the girl comes in, he asks her if she's a friend of Nemo's. Which I thought was such a great way of phrasing that because it's clearly Captain Nemo who fights a giant squid. Uh, And so that's that reference there. The other thing, towards the end of the prayer when he's holding everybody's hands, Wade says, does it never end? Of course it does. Which is a flip of Dr. Manhattan telling Adrian Veidt, nothing ever ends. Uh, And the thing that I thought was so fascinating about that is immediately... Once they start talking, once the woman starts pushing weight on it, it's clear he doesn't actually believe that. He's telling these people that it never ends, uh, that it ends. But for him, she immediately, as they walk outside, is like, nope, you're still in that tunnel. Yeah. You, you are still 100%. stuck there. Uh, yeah, and I think that's sort of he's, suffer- he's sort of suffering for other people, trying to make them feel better. But yeah, he's sort of in the worst position of them all, I think we're made to think. Yeah. Uh, Then they have a conversation uh, where they talk about their trauma and where does it come from. Uh, They have a fun conversation over beer. And this gets to, without working myself too much in a hole here, I'm going to try to explain this the right way. One alternate universe detail in this show that really bothered me in a very specific way. Okay. Uh, And that is... This woman talks to Wade and is like, listen, I wasn't there when the squid exploded. I don't have a specific story like that, so my story isn't as strong as yours, but I'm terrified every day. I'm scared. Uh, And she asks him, did you ever see the movie Pale Horse? Uh, And he hasn't seen the movie Pale Horse. She explains what the movie Pale Horse is. As we mentioned, Pale Horse is the band that was playing at Madison Square Garden the night that the squid exploded. Uh, And she describes the movie to him. She says, you know, this movie, it came out in 92. It was all black and white. But after the squid explodes, there's this little girl. She's in red. She's directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's directed by Steven Spielberg. And she's wandering around the wreckage of the squid. Now, Schindler's List came out in 93. Yeah, this it's clearly, very, yeah. Yeah, very clearly, instead of making Schindler's List in this world, Steven Spielberg made Pale Horse a movie about a squid exploding because that was the big disaster that he wanted to talk about. Yeah. Here's, here's why I feel very conflicted and like slightly upset about it. As a Jewish person, Schindler's List uh-huh. is certainly an important movie. It's an important story to tell. Um I, without anybody yelling at me online, I never loved Schindler's List. Like, I went to see it, and I sort of was like, yes, this is very straightforward as a Holocaust tale. It's from the perspective of a non-Jew, but it was a phenomenon at the time, and there was definitely a feeling, and I was, I believe at the time, going to Hebrew high school still, uh, where people are like, have you seen Schindler's List? This is such an important movie. And so I had a very conflicted feeling when I saw it being like, I don't think this is that great, but everybody is very into this. But on the same note, hearing that the continuity of Watchmen erased Schindler's list made me very upset at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's, it's a fun, it's plays a little bit like it's funny. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think underneath that is an interesting take about like 
Steven Spielberg, you know, about the idea of Holocaust movies and how that was that was an, sort of an easy type of movie that people made a lot mm-hmm. in like the 90s and early 2000s. Still a little bit people do it. And so it would make sense that Steven Spielberg would be like, if he wanted to like get into this sort of wound on society and culture, he would pick the squid event, 11-2, as opposed to uh, the Holocaust because it it's a little more of a, uh, it would be a much larger open wound in, in America at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, intellectually, I get all of it. I just was trying to process through... I had a very visceral reaction to when she said the little girl in red walking through the black and white, where I was like, oh, they got rid of Schindler's List. <laughs> you know, but they, the squid, they, they did it. The squids <laughs> did this to me. Um, so that's all. I, I think know, you're I mean, absolutely right. You're 100% right. And again, on an intellectual perspective, but again, it, it, there was just a weird thing where it hit me emotionally. No, and I will like say something was missing. Yeah, and it's a little off because really it this it's more they're playing 112 like 911. So mm-hmm. the problem is there isn't a 911 movie I think that they could reference here and it, uh, it really what was work. That? United 93. But if they it's just not enough of a cultural sure. moment while using Spielberg and Schindler's List was a huge thing and saying the pink dress, everyone knew, knows exactly what they're talking about. So it works as a sort of bit, I think. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Again, absolutely. I, I, I don't have the same emotional connection to that movie. So, uh, I thought it, I thought it worked mm-hmm. and was just a funny, great deviation in the Watchmen world versus ours. 100%. I don't want to spend more time on it. It was just something that no, I kind of got to drill down on this. Okay. All right. Next the hour pink, of the, the podcast. Pink dress, the pink dress represents, <laughs> um, innocence and, uh, first of all, you son of a bitch. It's a red dress. How dare you oh, raise that? Is it, I don't, it's not, it's not, it's not pink. No, it's right. Oh, it's right. Well. Maybe I saw a different version. Was Barbie in this? I'm thinking of Toy Story. Oh, yeah. No, that's, I mean, similar subject matter and uh, depth. And Liam Neeson, I think, is in both of them. <laughs> He's definitely in both, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where he has a particular set of skills, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, t- t- taken. That's the Liam Neeson <laughs> movie we're talking uh, All right, let's move on to there. So uh, afterwards, uh, he goes outside. He kisses the girl. Uh, very surprised about it. Um, she gets in her friend's truck and immediately when the friend's truck drives away, it pops out a head of lettuce and Wade freaks out because this goes back to the first episode of the series where from the very beginning, a member of the seventh cavalry was carrying lettuce in the back of their truck, tried to kill a cop, didn't end up actually killing that cop. Uh, and then threw a head of lettuce into the truck with him. And we got a nice reminder earlier in the episode when Red Scare was eating a sandwich with that lettuce on the sandwich, which was sort of yeah. a very nice economical way of being like, hey, remember this lettuce? That's going to be it's important. It's going to be important, episode. yeah. So he freaks out. He calls the cops, asks them if they ever found the truck, uh, and he follows the truck back, sees the woman and her friend put on the 7th Cavalry mask and wander into what I think is an abandoned mall. Um, yep. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens here, which is as Wade goes in and as he goes to search the truck, he ends up finding a gun that later on turns out to have planks in it and taking the gun, as well as things other than lettuce in the back of the truck. He doesn't put his mask on. Why do you think that never happens? Why do you think that doesn't occur to him? Well, this whole thing felt 
a little off to me. First off, the idea that the lettuce, that the guy would still have lettuce in the back of his truck, it's been like a lot of time. Is he constantly shipping lettuce? Yeah. So like the everything was a little like uh, too much of a clue. And then he calls the cops, but then goes in by himself anyway. And yeah, he finds his gun and... I, why doesn't he pull his mask on? I I mean, I guess he didn't have it with him. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I would think he would have it in his glove compartment box or something like that. It If the mask is hiding him from the psychic blast, I think what immediately happens to him, he gets pummeled with information. He becomes essentially a new person and a different person after that. He's not protected. So that's what happens because he doesn't wear the mask. What I can't quite figure out is why he didn't put it on in the first place, unless there's a small part of him. Again, not to get too deep into this, but if he is psychic and if he is reading this woman, maybe there's a part of him that already knows what's going to happen. And he's Hmm. letting himself go with that. Interesting. I read it the complete opposite way. I feel like the mask is, you know, his crutch that lets him live with his fears. Mm-hmm. And when he was getting this clue, he didn't, doesn't need all the crutches and all the bullshit. He's just being a good cop. Mm-hmm. And so he goes in, he doesn't need the mask. Interesting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think either one can be right. It's, it's funny that you are worried about the idea that he's a psychic, but you believe it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not worried about it, and I, I think he's just a regular dude who's good at telling if someone's lying. I think he is the strongest psychic I've ever seen. Yeah. He's, uh, what was the psychic uh, back in the day, the psychic hotline? Oh, yeah. uh, the, the woman with the fake <laughs> accent that used to do the infomercials? Yeah. She's the strongest psychic. Obviously. So he's like number two then. But he yeah. goes into this mall, and there's a bunch of details that happen very quickly. Uh, one of them that he passes by is there's a spray-painted or painted on the wall is a squid-eye symbol that I believe also has notes of Dr. Manhattan in it. Now, the interesting thing about this, this comes from the supplementary material that's been up on PDpedia. But oh, I love a supplement. Yeah, there was this letter that we talked about that was sent a long time ago, I think back in the 50s, from Senator Keene Sr. to Judd Crawford, thanking him for his service, uh, appointing him, not appointing him as sheriff, but thanking him as service, and it had this symbol on there. Yeah. So this is some sort of order. This is something that's existed for a very long time at this point, pre-squid, though to me it definitely looks like a squid eye at the same time. It's a little too convenient that it looks like a squid eye. Yeah. And then, but was around before the squid. I mean, I hope we don't get into time travel in this show. I hope we don't get into time travel, though later on, Panda and Red Scare are walking along, and they very specifically, they're doing their fan theory stuff about Dr. Manhattan, which a lot of people have been doing throughout the show. And they're like, no, come on, Dr. Manhattan can't time travel. And the other dude says, no, I saw it on American Hero Story. That's exactly in his power set. So, yeah, it's possible we might get into yeah. something like that. I don't want it. I'd rather it be like psychic reverberation, uh, reverberations going back through time or something like that, as opposed think, to Dr. Manhattan being like, hey, you should start a squid society. The other possibility, though, is there is something bigger than Adrian Veidt, because what Adrian Veidt did was he brought in a bunch of artists 
to create the squid and the look of the squid and the feel of the squid and build it so that he eventually could drop it. I do wonder if we're going to find out that there was something that was manipulating him the same way that he thought he was manipulating other things. Interesting. But we'll see. Uh, But the other thing that we find out is he finds the church. It turns out to just be a TV set that they've been broadcasting from. Everything is fake. Everything is uh, being constructed. And he finds, as you mentioned, they're throwing basketballs through a portal, testing it, clearly trying to figure out how far they can send things so that they control it based on where they're shooting things. Uh, And they explain that they've set all this up just to bring Wade to this point. And that's where we get another bunch of big reveals, specifically that Senator Keene is a member of the 7th Cavalry, is running this unit, and he reveals that he was working with Judd Crawford post-White Knight to get control of the 7th Cavalry, and they were working with their separate units to keep the peace, which backs up yeah. a lot of stuff that we've been talking about since the beginning of the show. Yeah. Yeah, it all checks out, and I... I it's interesting. They uh, the guy that killed the cop at the beginning. Um, he he that he just calls him an asshole who went rogue, and that's he showed up to stop that bad shit from happening. So this episode also definitely undercuts a lot of the race issues that have mm-hmm. been thematically running throughout. So I'm curious how that will change moving forward now that we this group is maybe not as racially motivated as we thought they're using that as a cover right uh so it's really it throws a wrench thematically into the show in an interesting way that i'm curious to see how they resolve well uh, particularly because we get a speech from senator keen that is very cutesy and very written uh in a purposeful way where Wade says, oh, you're going to drop another squid. And Keen says, come on, where's the originality in that? No, we're going to do something new. Which, that is like straight up David Lindelof. Ooh, we're going to tease you with the information, but not give you the information until later. I was glad to hear that because it would be a real bummer if they did do the same thing. But at the same time, I was like, all right, I I get what you're doing here. Well, the use of the word new, like it a villain would say, I'm going to do something better or I'm going to do something uh, that will change the whole game. He says, I'm going to do something new. Like I rewrote it. Yeah. I punched it up a little bit. Uh, we also get a moment. Uh, he says a phrase that people have been waiting for and using his jokes pretty much since the first episode where he says squid pro quo. Uh, I know. Very timely. I was yeah shocked that he said it. I almost I was like, did he actually say it, or did I just hear that? Uh, <laughs> no nope. joke, brain. It really happened. Uh, solid joke. Uh, and then it turns out this is why Keen is with the Seventh Cavalry. When he was elected, uh, he was shown a tape. And he gives Wade the choice. He says, you can be shown the tape um, or not. Obviously, it's going to end up very badly with him for him if he uh, doesn't look at the tape. Uh, but the tape turns out to be Adrian Veidt in 1993 congratulating Robert Redford on getting elected and in very supervillain fashion explaining his whole plan, that he dropped the squid, that it was a hoax, that he's going to keep it going by doing these squid rains every once in a while so people won't forget about it. Uh, and he manipulated everything so that Robert Redford could get elected, and he is hoping they're going to work together. And then 
again, in very David Lindelof fashion, because they did this with tapes on Lost all the time. He says, over the next several hours, I'm going to explain to you exactly what I did and what we're going to do next. And then we don't get to see that. Yeah. Would have loved to see a Dharma initiative symbol on the front of this tape. Oh, my God. Or just Locke pops his head and is like, we're going to have to watch that again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I mean, the big reveal is that he made this on the eve of 11-2 before he dropped the squid. Yes. Uh, Uh, So we cut away from that. Well, I think we could finish this and then cut back and talk about the Vite thing. We cut away from that to the Vite section. Uh, But the after thing is uh, that... Um, well, they, he the what the Seventh Cavalry wants Wade to do is to slow Angela down mm-hmm. to like throw her off the trail while they execute their plan, which they say is days away from coming to fruition. Which I was like, oh wow, it's happening pretty quickly, and all they need is to just stop her before she ruins their plan. And he does that pretty badly because he goes back to the police station. He gets her to admit that she covered up what was going on with her grandfather as he gives her the pills, explains her about Salja. Of note, they keep using this so effectively, but he rolls up in his mask in the police station, fully exposed, something that he said you should never do at the beginning of the episode. Uh, And then he says, I'm sorry. Uh, Lori Blake comes out, points a gun at her. She fights her way through the police station, but ultimately loses, chugs the entire bottle of nostalgia pills, and gets dragged away, uh, cursing Wade's name. He heads home, throws out his new EDS package that he got, then comes back, immediately gets it, goes inside, at which point the 7th Cavalry pulls up in a van, comes out, guns a-blazing, ready to do something. Now, are they there to kill him because they don't need him anymore? I think so, right? Yeah, it, it was an interesting move without giving us the, the payoff on it. Yeah. Um, I guess so. The covering their tracks makes the most sense. Yeah. He, they've already gotten what they need from him, so they're done with him at this point. Uh, but I guess we'll see. We'll see if maybe they're just going in and presenting him with some guns or something like that. Yeah. Uh, let's jump back to Vipe because this is another— Well, sh- let's, let's just talk—can we talk about it real quick? Um, yeah. I think I love the way that this that Wade's story plays out. Um, the His fear of not knowing what the squid means and how he's trying to hide from it and— uh, deal with the trauma of it is replaced by the horror of knowing how it happened. Mm-hmm. And then he has nothing to protect him. So he just betrays himself and, and lo- and uh, sister Knight, and is act actively working to hide the truth because the, he like Vite thinks the fear is safer mm-hmm. for society. And I thought just the, the way to flip the Rorschach POV with the character that has been built to be the Rorschach of the show it's just so cool. Yeah. Just so well done. I agree. It was great. And Tim Blake Nelson is so good in this role and so perfect in this role. Um, it was it was a very good episode. But let's jump back and talk about the Vite thing because yeah. they really pull back the veil, so to speak, uh, this episode. Uh, we have seen that Adrian Vite has been testing things by taking his clones, Phillips and Crookshanks, his two valets valets there's a lot of discussion about this on our patreon slack and i think our english friend john george said valet yeah that's like british how you would say valet mm-hmm. is valet they don't do the french stuff yes so he has a bunch of clones working with him he's been uh throwing them into what we thought was probably space 
turns out to be space. Uh, and just to kind of test the limits of things, there's also a character called the Game Warden who seems to be setting limits on Adrian Veidt, uh, but he is sworn to escape anyway. This episode, he has built himself a spacesuit, flips himself with a catapult into space, goes out of the realm of his very pleasant-seeming domain, and lands on, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it turns out he's not on Mars. He's on one of the moons of Mars. That's what I thought, too. And I, that's interesting because it means he's Dr. Manhattan adjacent. Yes. Manhattan was like, go, you be over there. I'll watch you. But I don't want to be living with you. Yeah. Now, maybe. Uh, let's get to that in a second. Uh, I'll throw out just uh, the two moods of Mars are Phobos and Deimos. Uh, given the title of the episode, I would imagine he's probably on Phobos because that means yeah. fear. So yeah. there you go. I can't really identify them by the landscape. But, oh, wow, really? Yeah, oh, I know. That was definitely some Phobos, uh, <laughs> Phobos classic rock Phobos. formations. Uh, classic yeah. Phobos. Because, I mean, uh, Demos, very different, mm-hmm. Alex. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. different. So it turns out he's also pulling a classic Black Freighter. Now, this is uh, back in the Watchmen comic book. There's a juxtaposition that happens. Yes, brought it back. Uh, with, nice. People have been crazy waiting for you to use the J word again. Yeah, there's. Uh, I saw this was trending. Uh, Alex... Hashtag Alex say juxtaposition again was trending. Number one was release the Snyder cut. Number two was hashtag Alex say (laughs) juxtaposition again. And I just want to provide people uh, what they want. Uh, So next podcast, we'll be releasing the Snyder cut. Um, Wow. <laughs> so the Snyder cut of these episodes of, of these the episodes, yeah, they're much shorter because he didn't work on them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the Black Freighter pirate comic that they're reading inside the comic Watchmen, the character is adrift at sea. He ends up lashing together a bunch of dead bodies to make a raft, and that's exactly what Doctor Manhattan has been doing here. He takes all the dead bodies of Phillips and Crookshanks that he has sent onto Phobos uh, and uses them to spell out a message for a satellite that is looking at Mars. We don't get to see the whole message. It says, save me D. So I have to assume it means the full message is save me dicks, right? Yeah. Save me dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he's saying save me Dr. Manhattan, right? Is the full message. And that's what we're not supposed to see yet. I mean, maybe, but he knows, I would think Dr. Manhattan put him there and is, is the game warden technically. I think, I mean, the game wardens, they, again, I've checked the credits and they're not very clear about it. The game warden certainly seems to be Tom Meissen, who's playing Phillips with a mustache. Yeah. So I think it's just another clone. Not 100% sure. But, but I, I think he's meant to be a, the avatar for... Dr. Manhattan, if he is the person who's imprisoning him. If it is Save Me D, though, who could be the other D? It's not going to be Dan Dryberg. No. I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It would have to be Dr. Manhattan. But that's so weird. It is weird. I think, I mean, again, even though we do find out he is in space, he's on one of the moods of Mars, as far as we know, unless it is some sort of virtual reality thing or dream or something like that, there's still no, a lot it, of information we don't have. But also, why would he wouldn't need a satellite to read? Doctor Manhattan would never be looking mm-hmm. at a satellite. Now that's true. Maybe it, maybe it saved me. Doctor Manhattan has me imprisoned here, but it's really it was a paradise, and later it became a prison for me. Yeah, Adrian Veidt. 
Ooh, maybe it's Save Me Damon Lindelof. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Because maybe on this, in this world, Damon Lindelof is an astronaut mm, and a probably. satellite cowboy. I imagine, though, that satellite is the satellite that they have focused on Mars, where they got the footage from Dr. Manhattan from the first episode. They're probably checking for him all the time. So, again, very interesting to see how that plays out. But just as he sees the satellite and gets very excited that his message has been sent, he gets pulled back through... And the game warden is there and says he has violated the terms of the agreement and knocks him out. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him going forward at this point. Or if maybe that's just the end of his story. Yeah, (laughs) we'll never see him again. Um, I love the frozen rose on his uh, Mm -hmm. lapel. It was very cool. And I think this sequence proves that uh, Adrian Veidt, we've been speculating, has he lost his mind? Um, Whatever. We don't know what's happening with him. It feels like he's not. He is at the top of his game. And this was Mm -hmm. a, a constructed plan where he's been flinging these people so that he can go and collect them and make this sign. And... I would also venture a guess that he's not done with whatever his plan is. We we talked about this before, but there's the whole thing with Phillips having a horseshoe and him saying it's not time for that yet. We haven't seen how that's paid off yet. So I would imagine he expected the game warden to take him back. This is just the first phase of whatever his escape plan is. Yeah, he wants, uh, it feels like he wants a meeting with the game warden um, mm-hmm. to, if the game warden is Dr. Manhattan, then it's to plead his case about what, why he needs to leave or what needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, but again, getting back to the title, uh, certainly if this is inspired by that Jules Verne novel, and the whole thing seems very Jules Verne down to the spacesuit that he's using, uh, yeah. certainly this, the character, I'm blanking on the name of the character, but the character of the book leaves various clues. First, there's a message in a bottle with some coordinates that get washed away a little bit. You can't see all of them, which is exactly what happened here. Uh, And more things happen down the line as they get closer and closer to reaching his destination. So uh, there's more episodes left. We're going to see more. Any any final thoughts about this episode? Uh, Just a I thought it was a great episode that um, focused on one character, but actually had ramifications for the whole show uh, all the way across. The show does such a great job of building the world while at the same time keeping the plot going, while at the same time just telling a good story for this singular episode. And it's really great. Yeah, it's good stuff. A good show. Good job show. Great show. If take you, a break, show. <laughs> You've earned it. Take a break for a week. Just chill out. If you would like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. Also, you can check us out a bunch of places socially. Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter. Watchmen Watch Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, also, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. We will be back on Thursday with a bonus episode talking about your theories, ideas, comments on this episode, expectations for the rest of the series. So hit us up on Twitter, in particular, Watch and Watch One, as we mentioned, uh, with any comments like that, and we will aim to work them into the episode. You can subscribe and comment, and please do comment because they help us a lot on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. 